wherever you are in this great country of ours. I appreciate you joining us. If you are in one of the many cities, including Kingston, Ontario, there is a healthcare crisis. From a staffing perspective, and specifically emergency department nursing staffing, uh, it's as bad as I've seen it. Um, and I've been practicing for nine years. Emergency Medicine Director Tim Chaplin says staffing shortages and high patient volumes have forced Kingston Health Sciences Centre to cap the number of patients to the urgent care centre at Hotel Dew Hospital. Starting Wednesday, KHSC will begin limiting the daily number of patients treated at the urgent care centre in an effort to make resources available at the emergency department at Kingston General Hospital, the region's main trauma centre. We feel like we're at a point now where we need to prioritize the operations of the emergency emergency department to ensure those trauma patients, those strokes, those heart attack uh, patients with heart attacks are seen uh, with the appropriate complement of staff and it's no longer possible or, or safe to continue to divert uh, human resources uh, to the urgent care center. Aaron Strickland, Global News, Kingston. And we are seeing this right across the country. There is a shortage, as we all know, of technicians, of nurses, and of doctors. Dr. McKinney McGuire-Brown is one of many internationally educated physicians who would gladly help, help relieve overworked physicians and work as a doctor here. But despite trying to land a residency placement every year since 2017 after arriving in Canada from Trinidad and Tobago, McGuire-Brown remains sidelined. Doctor, good evening and thank you for joining us. Good evening. Thank you for having me. Such true statements. (laughs) How are you doing? Because the people that I know that want to work, that have the capacity to work, whether it's in physicians, uh, being a physician or anything else, if they're told that they can't, they try to find ways to make that happen. How are you doing personally as a result of all this? Yeah, it's extremely heartbreaking, heart-wrenching, you know, it pulls your heart out from inside of you for many different reasons. One, because being a doctor is a part of who you are, and so it really feels like someone's stripping your soul away from you. The other reason is that, you know, you can help when you're literally being prevented from helping by a bunch of bureaucracy and red tape that can be fixed but is not being fixed. And so when you see all of this, like people in rural areas can't get doctors, people in cities can't get doctors, family physicians um, are burnt out and there aren't enough. And you're just like, there are thousands of qualified, skilled doctors who are able to do this and we're not being allowed to do it. It's, it's pretty crazy. Let's step back and explain here, because if you go to a medical school in Canada and some other areas of the Commonwealth, if you will, those credentials are recognized. Can you help Mm -hmm. us understand the difference in education and practice in Trinidad, Tobago versus Canada and and other countries where, boom, your credentials are right away recognized? Help us understand that. Yeah, so it's, it's a very complex thing, and so I'll try to make it as simple as possible. 
when we come here, we have our degrees recognized. That's not a very long process. I already have my recognition for five plus years that says that my medical education is equal to Canadian medical education. What happens or where the problem comes is actually being licensed to practice. And that is regulated by the regulatory bodies and how many pathways there are to licensure, which is controlled mostly by the government. And that's where the problem is. The pathways to licensure are inadequate and just dysfunctional. There are very limited residency spots for international medical graduates. And they're just like 400 applications being sent in for two spots as uh, on average as a ratio, right? And that's just impossible to filter qualified professionals with years of practice into two spots from such a large um, application number. And then so the gatekeepers, people, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to add that many of these people do not even need to repeat residency. They have already done residency. All they need is a pathway to licensure. Some provinces, like Manitoba, where you are, they do have a practice-ready assessment. Ontario, where I am, does not. But even in Manitoba, the amount or the number of positions available for practice-ready assessment is just so limited compared to the number of people that can actually apply for it. Okay, let's dig deeper on this because I'm fascinated by this because I find that in a lot of professions, there are gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And in this way, if you go to, you know, the University of Toronto Medical School, University of Manitoba Medical School, and you graduate from there, uh, there should be a placement for you. You mm-hmm. noted that there's only two placements uh, and you have 400 applicants and, and there's, there's gatekeeping there. And we talk about mm-hmm. the government doing this. But I'm wondering if... Um, it's the the college that oversees this as well as other doctors professions that are trying to put a cap on this simply because um and i don't want to use the word discrimination i don't want to put words in your mouth here Mm -hmm. but i'm wondering if the rules that were drafted years and years ago no longer reflect the reality of the makeup of our country yeah, so, yeah, we, I mean, I can extract a few things from that. First, let me clarify, 400 to 2 is on average. Some programs have more positions, but also have more applicants, right? Um, but uh, let's extract a few things from what you said. Is, does discrimination exist? Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. I have personally been told about my application, oh, you only practice in Trinidad, oh. Not sure what O (laughs) is supposed to mean, but it certainly has an air of discrimination around it. Secondly, because the system is very fragmented, meaning there are many different institutions that control different parts of it, there's a lot of passing of the buck, right? So I can say I only deal with regulation when people reach a certain point. Someone else can say, well, I only deal with certification of this particular degree. Someone else says, well, I just make sure that the exams are, you know, up to Canadian standard. And everyone kind of passes this buck around. And that's why we come back to the government, because at the end of the day, the buck must stop somewhere. And I would want to believe it would stop with the government. And so at the end of the day, when we talk about increasing residency spots, they fund those spots. It's not the regulatory bodies, it's not the Royal College, it's not anyone else who funds residency spots, who funds different 
uh, licensure pathways as the government. And so that's where the investment has to come from. Dr. McKinney McGuire-Brown with us. Richard Ian for Ben this Monday evening. Uh, did you know of this when Canada was a destination? Was it just, hey, I'm going to be a doctor in Canada. It should, shouldn't be that hard. Was that the expectation? Yeah, it, <laughs> it was definitely the latter. I didn't know it was that hard. I mean, I'm someone who kind of um, crosses my teeth and dots my eyes. So when I came to Canada, I had already passed all of my exams. I came here, exams done, entered into the residency matching system, hoping that I would match. What you don't see when you read, you know, the official pages as to the procedures that you need to do is, is the reality. You see, submit this document, submit that document. I can submit all of those documents. I've never had a problem with that. The problem is the reality on the ground, which is just that the system is completely dysfunctional. And so, no, I did not know that I would go through this. And if I did, I would not have done it for sure. What are you doing now for money? My husband is working in a job that is also below his qualifications to make sure that our family eats. And that's the thing. This doesn't only affect the person. It affects families. It affects spouses. It affects your entire family life. It completely turns your life upside down. And if you're not strong and if you don't have support, you will crumble. You know, there's a lot of talk about mental health. I mean, this is just devastating on your mental health. It is not an easy thing to go through. I mean, I have since... um, given the government more money by taking out student loans. I did my MBA, graduated with distinction. I'm almost, almost there on my PhD. And all of this because my husband sacrificed to make sure, make sure that we could eat while I did that, to make sure that one day we could live anywhere close to the standard that I used to live, right? So when I came here, I didn't expect to have my life overhauled. I expected to come study and contribute to society. That's what I expected to do as a doctor. And you still have that expectation, I hope. Well, yeah, I do. I hope so. I keep trying every year. So is there anybody within the system, the gatekeepers, if you will, truly advocating for you and others in your position? Do you feel that there is somebody or institutions in your corner or is it lip service? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's why ITPO, Internationally Trained Physicians of Ontario, was started. And that's why it was founded, because there was no voice for internationally trained phys- physicians. And even though we have an O, we represent physicians across Canada. We have physicians from every province um, as a part of our membership. And that's what we're doing raising our voices because no no one advocates for us we have to push we have to and we have spoken to every single institution we've spoken to the government different members of parliament and everything to try to get our voices heard and thank you for the opportunity you know to allow us to be heard by the public so they can really understand what we go through because we're advocating for ourselves because no one will do it for us. And we are advocating to help Canadians, right? We would like to help because we have the skills to do so. We're doctors. We've been doctors for a while. We've been doing this. We have pa- we've had patients that we connected with. We've had patients that we've lost. We've had patients that 
amazingly, you know, survived. We've had patients long term that we have such a connection with and we know their mother, their father, you know, their children and everybody, right? So we're doctors, the same way that Canadians are attached to their doctor. We've had patients attached to us too. We know how to be doctors because that's who we are. So we're fighting to actually help improve everyone's lives. Dr. McKinney McGuire-Brown is with us. Richard in for Ben. I'd like your instant reaction to what you have just heard. 877-399-9898. Text us now at 877-399-9898. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. 10 to the hour. Richard in for Ben. Richard Cluche with you from Winnipeg. After the top of the hour news and information a conversation about getting you into an EV vehicle. This is Dr. Catherine Smart, president of the Canadian Medical Association. There's so much going on right now in the system. You know, I, I think there's multiple factors that are contributing. And in terms of the ED issue, that the staffing issue, we're short nurses and at times physicians. And we're also seeing a really high number, a high volume of patients presenting to emergency departments. Still a lot of people in hospital, so it's challenging to move folks from the ED into hospital. Um, so both those things are really making it difficult to manage the volume because, you know, more patients, fewer staff leads to a lot of issues in terms of the actual delivery of care. With us live this Monday evening is Dr. McKinney McGuire-Brown. A doctor from Trinidad and Tobago would love to be a doctor here in Canada. She's now chair of the Internationally Trained Physicians of Ontario. This is an advocacy organization, and it's about pathways to become a doctor. Now, we've talked about residency, doctor, but let's also talk about those other routes in some provinces, and that's uh, practice-ready assessment programs. You work under the yeah. supervision for about 12 weeks, usually in a rural area, where does that exist in Canada? Yeah, so practice ready assessment um, assist exists in most provinces except Ontario. Um, I'm not sure about the territories, but certainly Manitoba, Alberta, British Columbia, um, Saskatchewan, all these provinces have practice ready assessment, but not in Ontario, as one of the major provinces that does not. Now, the problem is that in getting into these programs, there are very limited spots in all of them. Some programs accept eight people per year, some 20 people per year. And that's just not enough because, I mean, our organization alone has 1,500 members. <laughs> and so <laughs> we're not talking about small numbers like that, you know. And so for these programs, which can be really helpful because the thing is that they take off the need for um, – the huge increase in residency spots that would now be required. But if you split it, if you understand that these people already have done residency, if you want them to become licensed, then put them into the system under supervision until they get full licensure, then you automatically have a doctor relieving burden, plus you have a shorter route to licensure and something that costs less. And so if this was if these programs were expanded in other provinces and if these programs were um, if this program existed in Ontario, it already makes life a lot easier. So what we've been doing is we've been pushing like a three strategy approach or like a three part strategy approach. So increased residency spots. Yes. 
but also implement PRA where it, where it needs to be and then increase it in provinces where it is. Um, these two together work really well to have instant doctors um, in the system. And then the third thing is a big issue for internationally trained physicians because what happens when you can't come here and you can't practice is that you lose what they call recency of practice because now they say, okay, when last have you practiced as a doctor? Then they hold it against you as if they provided pathways for you to practice as a doctor here. And it decreases your chances significantly from getting into any pathway. And so we've also been pushing like a, a supervised clinical assistant position, which is like your starting place before you get into a pathway. So we've been pushing these um, priorities to um, you know, people that matter in, in, in policy-making positions. It's really just for them to act on it. Do you feel at all heard if the Ontario Premier is listening right now? What's your 30-second message to him? My 30-second message to him is that if you want to know how to fix the route for internationally trained physicians, you need to talk to internationally trained physicians. And we are here and we have solutions that will help us help Canada, help the entire health system, and be cost-efficient because we don't understand the amount of money that goes into excessive ED visits, that goes into people who could have, been, who could have gotten preventative care versus complications from not being diagnosed early. That's just not a battle you're going to win. It's been shown over and over again that prevention is better than cure. You want to funnel money into preventative things rather than dealing with complications. And that's what our solutions do. It's a win-win. We're not trying to only win this for ourselves. We definitely want to be doctors for sure. But we want to help Canadians. And if you would talk to us, then we can help. You know, we sometimes talk about the myth... And I'm wondering if this is a myth. Do you know anybody of those 1,500 that are driving a cab or working in a restaurant that otherwise would be a doctor? Oh, absolutely. That is not a myth. Uber, Amazon, <laughs> DoorDash, whatever you want. Absolutely. Yeah. People are doing what they need to do to support their family, right? Their families have to eat. They have to eat. They have to survive. They have to make a living. And unfortunately, you, you literally can't get any clinical job. Sometimes we, if we want to be involved in something clinical, we have to do it for free. And you get mm. about 1% clinical and 99% secretary, janitor, and, um, anything else that they can give you. To that do is that incredible. And I'm Dr. McKinney McGuire-Brown. <laughs> Next time we talk, I hope it's doctor for sure.